Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Good to be oh, back from summer. Konnichiwa, Jane. Yes. <laughs> I almost forgot what I had to say then. Yes, yeah, it's been a I long like... summer break. I hope everyone's missed us as much as we've missed you. Mm, yeah. It wasn't the summer for people in New Zealand, obviously, if you're tuning in from there. But True. we do know a lot of our listeners are also in Japan as well. And it has been a hot summer so far and it doesn't look like going away anytime soon. So if you're coming to Japan, please know it's probably going to be hot. Oh, indeed. Yeah. And I know actually people have been listening to Jandals in Japan over the summer holidays or mm -hmm. New Zealand winter because I've been watching the podcast ratings. Every oh. day I look at them to see where we are and oh. we're still in the top 100 or top 200 in Japan for business podcasts. Oh, awesome. So thank you to everybody who continues to listen to Jandals in Japan. We haven't slipped off the cliff of 201 we've stayed in there so we really appreciate everyone coming in and mm. i've got some you know recent feedback of dom's episode that people just loved listening to him and hearing about the background of people who make it to a certain level say in the ministry mm. uh, as an embassy representative and then not knowing what the background was for that person coming up the ranks right so people have found that really fun to hear mm -hmm. his story that he carved out uh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's oh, really great to hear, isn't that's it? That's great. And yeah, and it's true though, right? You start to see certain people around in Japan. It's a small kind of community here, actually, mm -hmm. small world here in Japan. And yeah, how did that person get there? Well, there's a whole story to it. And it was very fascinating. That's all. Go listen if you haven't already. Yeah. But yeah, summer break has been rather long. Most companies have been off. Uh, it's been a long summer for you too, though, Jane, hasn't it? Oh, my God. With all the things going on in your family and activities that you've had to manage. Deal with. Yeah, so I, I want to just talk about it for a second or three because, as we do mention later in this episode and also in the previous episode with Dom, talking about women's empowerment and how can we have more Japanese women getting these board positions, getting into these management positions and and being active in society – well, <laughs> summer vacation homework, summer holiday homework is what we've just experienced for the last five or six weeks with, you know, all the kids in Japan being on summer holidays. And I'm not sure that there's any other country in the world, and please tell me if there is, because I certainly haven't found one, that sets a huge amount of summer holiday homework for the kids, because it's not the end of a school year here as it is in every other country in the world just about right so um in new zealand obviously our school year starts in february we've had six weeks of full break over summer and often the parents also are having a break of some you know two or three weeks probably right your christmas holidays in europe same kind of thing there's a big summer holiday everybody takes a holiday in summer it's the start of the school year in september or end of august but in japan it's like it's our summer so we need to take a break but it's not the end of the school year, so you will keep studying all summer long. And so, why? yeah, yeah. Why? Why? Well, why? I know why. why. Do, what is the purpose for? But well, it's to stop the drop-off part. You know, kids uh -huh. forget stuff, right? And so, if you're in the right. middle of the school year, and schools, their influence extends beyond the school, right? Uh -huh. So they ha like to think they have a say in how you will spend your summer holidays, right? Even though it's not really their business, I'm like, are you going to come around and 
and check on my kid and make sure he's writing his book report because wow yeah, yeah. so they said a lot of a lot of homework and it increases I, with age obviously they also yeah. ensuring that you as a family sort of are bonded together over this particular activity does that is that part of it as well uh, no. uh, maybe there's maybe. certainly a lot of mm. frustration so what's the homework like? What kind of things did you have to do for, for your both of your kids? Well, my older child, I was very hands-off because she's 12. And at that age, yes, you should be able to manage your time and, you know, figure out how long it's going to take you to do these things. And she was fine. My younger child is eight, just turned nine, and not quite at the age where they can sort of think, oh, okay, I have this much to do and this many days, and this mm. is, you know, even adults struggle to do this, right? And the planning and project management yes. and all of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but what did you have to do? You had a workbook, quite a thick workbook of maths and Japanese, and it had social studies and uh, science in it, and he had to work oh, through that Oh, many workbook. topics. I thought yep. it was just one project you had to do. No, 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 no. workbook. Wow. A daily one-line diary, what you're going to do today. And also reading every day and what did you read today, what page and all of this. And then there were, the, there's the book report, which is, what was it? Four pages of Genkoyoshi. No, three pages, which is 1,200 squares for an eight-year-old, eight going on nine-year-old. And then uh, what else was there? Uh, two konkurus, two competitions you have to enter. This is a great list of things you can choose from. <gasps> So wow. it could be making a poster about conserving water or taking a photo of your dad doing some mum activities. So this is for the equality, the equality office had this great <laughs> your idea. dad's doing mum activities. Though. Yes, but, yes this is it. literally oh. what was on there. I was like, oh my goodness, how to um, make these... a great sandcastle or something, right? <laughs> like, That's an activity. Like, oh my wow. God. Wow. So that took a huge chunk of our holiday and so you know a lot of kids are in after school care during summer holidays because their parents are working like their parents don't have a holiday right so after school care or gakudo as it's called does facilitate some of this for parents mm. if you are lucky enough to have access to it but you have to have a full-time job and if you have a sort of a part-time job you don't get access to this or if your job doesn't Give you enough points so you get to the front of the line to have your child to be able to go to this after school care then yeah it's that's a, a disadvantage isn't it mm, so oh. you know in tokyo it might be slightly different but here or in, outside of tokyo in the regions there's a lot of homework going on and parents have to manage it so one of my friends said oh summer holiday homework ruined our summer holiday and then my kids had to write an essay when they got back to school about all the fun that they'd had in the summer holiday and i was like well isn't that ironic <laughs> they hadn't had any fun because they've been wow. so busy doing their summer holiday homework well there you go i mean that's so different to new zealand we just go on holiday right you finish mm. you maybe maybe we had to put a broom under the tables and chairs or put the chairs on top of our desks and that was it and we just out yeah. of there, ran out of school and yeah. gone, done. And no bye, because it's the end of the year. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Japan's quite not the same. So just this, you know, that was just my personal experience. But you multiply that across every mother of an elementary school child in Japan. And that is a lot of people who are struggling. And that's just one thing, right, in the year that happens for parents in Japan. And so I'm like, well, could we think about maybe modernizing the system now yeah. because 
full of inequity, isn't it? Mothers mm. are not at home anymore to manage or facilitate all of this for the school over the summer holidays. So wow. it needs to be a different way. But it's just too a tarimaya, right? It's just too... Mm. Just to, this is how it's always been done. So nobody ever thinks, well, what if we just blew it all up and didn't do it anymore? You know, do something different. Nobody has that idea. So mm, very tricky. And someone actually, a lot of my foreign friends and said to me, what would happen if you just didn't do it? Right. Mm -hmm. So this is in Japan. What would happen if you just did not do your summer holiday homework? And I said, well, it's never happened because nobody knows what would happen because it's never happened because of the social social pressure. Right. You don't want your kid to be the only kid in the class who has not submitted their summer holiday homework. But then one of my other foreign friends said, "Um, what happens is if they haven't finished or they haven't done it, they sit inside during playtime and finish it until it's done. (gasps) That's it's what happens. They crazy. get their playtime taken away until they're done. I'm like, okay. So it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Like mm. holiday, homework. No. Hello? Yeah. Mm. Oh, how interesting. I'll have to have a look at that. Work. No, actually, I won't be able to see the workbook anytime, will I? You've handed it in. Oh, no, it comes back. So we Does can it? treasure it for the rest of our lives sometime. if we want to. Yes. Goodness me. Well, we did grow up in a country where it was a little bit easier to take your summer holiday and actually forget about school. And I don't even remember coming back to school, though, after summer holidays and feeling like, too much that I'd lagged behind. So yeah, good. and that's that's what it's that's, for, right? right? Is to stop that lagging, especially when you're trying to keep kanjis in your brain. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you've true. just learned a hundred new kanjis, and then you forget them all over the summer holidays. True, right? I can understand. Ooh. Let's keep a little bit of kanji practice going on. Wow. But, oh my god, the rest of it can just all go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so there you go. The lowdown mm. on schoolwork over summer in Japan, and it's a topical, topical topic. <laughs> because we've actually just finished our summer here. But we're really rip-roaringly active and wanting to get into our next episode, and that's coming to you as you keep listening now for another few minutes. You'll hear Annette Azuma, who we have invited. She's sitting in Auckland, New Zealand, specialising in international business and deals with a number of listed and unlisted companies, high net worth individuals. She's doing a lot of work and we found out several ways that uh, people can benefit from her services if they were to hire her for accountancy work or tax work or compliance work, uh, due diligence on M&A deals, all kinds of things. And, you know, she's a fluent Japanese speaker. She's got lots to tell. So we'd love you to give it a listen. Let us know what you think after too. Yeah, so let's hear it from Annette. Kia ora, Annette. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be on your show. So we like to start off with our warm-up question. And today's question is, what's on your to-do list for your next trip to Japan? For my next trip to Japan, I definitely want to eat habayaki because I have not eaten it for quite a few years. and my last trip to Japan um, was just too busy that I didn't get to do it. So kabayaki is going mm. to be my number one thing to do. What's kabayaki for people who don't know what kabayaki is? Kabayaki is beautiful grilled eel on top of piping hot rice. And I always go to a speciality eel shop mm-hmm. um, to have it. It's, it's like my favorite Japanese food. Yeah, and it has a beautiful like teriyaki kind of sauce on it, doesn't it? That's all grilled and juicy and delicious. Yeah, very good. Catherine, what's on your to-do list 
Have you got anything on your to-do list in Japan? In Japan? Yeah, that's waiting to be done. Uh, Only in Japan experiences? Yeah, Mm. I'm heading off to, you know, one of the most famous places in Japan, Kyoto, very shortly. I haven't been for, my goodness, it must be about seven or eight years. So I've got a trip coming up. I'm really looking forward to going to see Kyoto and go to and do a few different things off the usual path. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some friends who are traveling from New Zealand. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah. Mm. And you, Jane, what about you? <laughs> I think I have to check back in with my to-do list. It's gone missing. I don't know where it's gone. I'm too I'm too busy <laughs> with baseball and violin up to my eyeballs to be thinking about to-do lists. So I should definitely put some things on my to-do list in Japan. You've got to do these things while you're here, right? You get Absolutely. very busy with your daily life. Exactly. Well, Annette, we're so happy to have you here. We've been looking out and waiting for you to come on the show. We'll be putting your full bio into the show notes. But just tell us a little bit more about your background, how you got to be interested in Japan, and also a little bit about, you know, your first trip to Japan when you first came here and experienced Japan. Thank you. So my first interest in Japan dates way back to my high school days in Dunedin. My high school, Kaipo Valley High School, was actually the first high school in New Zealand to teach Japanese. Mm. And so I was very fortunate. Um, I have a love of languages and also math. So that when I started high school, I did French and Japanese. Um, and then later on in my sixth form, I also took German. So I, I did three different languages. I loved both Japanese and French, but Japanese probably pivoted slightly higher than French because it was just so different, even though it's quite difficult, as a lot of you will be aware, learning the, you know, kanji and everything. It just really, because it was so different, I just found it totally fascinating. And so my first trip to Japan was a long time ago when I was approximately 19 or 20, and I had a pen friend who lived in Tokyo, um, Hachioji City, and that was arranged um, from my school because we did, we were learning Japanese, so we all had pen friends, mm. used to write letters to each other, send each other gifts, and so at the end of my school or first year at uni, I actually went and stayed with my pen friend in Hachioji for six weeks, which was an amazing experience. I realized that after having studied Japanese for five years, that when I got there, I couldn't actually understand anything or say anything because the way of teaching Japanese back then was very grammatical, etc. Whereas when I'd been to New Caledonia on a high school exchange in my fifth form year, so a couple of years prior, I could, you know, reasonably well understand and converse so that shows the difference in the Mm. complexity of the language but having said that it's I guess because with Japanese it's just such a deep level of language that you never stop learning and I guess I like learning and experiencing different things so that was my first experience um, my love of Japan back then when there were virtually no foreigners and then I later did one year in Nagaoka City, which is Niigata Prefecture. And that was, I was studying Japanese, even though um, my high school in Dunedin taught Japanese at 
that time, the Otago University didn't teach Japanese, so I did a commerce degree from Otago. And because I still love Japanese, I actually did an extramural BA in Japanese through Massey University. And through Massey University, I got an introduction to Nagoka Iwakai. And I went over there for one year and taught English in Nagoka. Nagoka at the time had a population of about 100,000, and there were literally about two foreigners. So it was like <laughs> myself and an engineer. And so it was a great experience of just being back then you virtually did become totally immersed in Japanese, whereas now I think, you know, there's more foreigners, et cetera, but because my experience is quite a few years ago, it was when there were not so many foreigners, which was actually good for pushing yourself to learn more Japanese if you wanted to have a really fulfilling experience. Wow, right. And you yeah. also studied here, didn't you, at a university in Japan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And also... After being in Nagoka Iwakai, I did a one-year exchange, and that was again through Massey University, and that was at Kyoto Sangyo University in Kyoto, where you're going to be going to soon. Um, so I have very fond memories of Kyoto, and it was during that one-year studying in Japan that I met my husband. Incidentally, we have been married, um, it will be 30 years this year, so Quite a long time ago. Congratulations. Thank you. But very fond memories of Kyoto as well as the whole of Japan. Mm. I'm trying to think when it was you actually got married, and I'm asking this for a specific question after that. Um, so 30 years ago from now, which is, what, 19? Oh, I'm an accountant. <laughs> you're, the, you're the accountant. <laughs> you know, Tricky off to work out that. But that but was 1993. So 1993, yes. Yeah. Right. So before that, you would have met Kenji, if I can call him Kenji. Yes. And you, you yes. had met him at the university because it's very bizarre. Since before I met you, I met your husband. Remember the story how <laughs> I was in Naganoken for an exchange and one of my friends was studying at Kyoto Sangyo and she said, come on down for the few days you've got off, come to Kyoto. And it was boiling hot. It was August in Kyoto. Oh my God. But we went to Kyoto Sangyo and I actually met this Kenji Azuma guy. Yes. And um, he took me to a couple of shrines and things. And with Maria, we went around a few places. So it was very bizarre that several years later when i was working as a lawyer in christchurch and was up in wellington for one of the embassy parties i met kenji and you were standing next to him <laughs> and it was like oh my god you guys are who you are right it was really do you remember that yes i do i guess that shows um like with the kiwi cohort in japan just how such a close-knit fraternity it becomes and so also true. for those Japanese who are interested in yeah. New Zealand. It's a real mm. sort of gelling yeah. community. Yeah, and then after that, you know, when I did my uh, work up in Auckland every month, you hosted me at your office uh, for the, the legal team that I was always, you know, having people coming and talking about different legal issues and that yes. was fantastic. So we've got a long, long relationship, Annette, and I also thought something was very funny when I read your bio um, that you were at one point a TVS Global News Live reporter for New Zealand, and I didn't know that about you. Tell us a bit more about that. That's fun. 
Yeah, so that was actually a really wonderful experience. Um, it was a really busy part of my life because I was very busy at my career with Bank of Chile Savings Worldwide working full-time, but also my boys, I've got two sons. They were probably around, I don't know, seven and 11. So super busy, but I was approached to be the New Zealand live reporter for that show. And I thought, this is an amazing opportunity. I really want to do it. So I got permission from my firm that I could do this outside of work hours. And then it's really interesting because that was so many years ago, but the actual focus of that TV show was the environment, which is now such a hot topical issue. So it was Mm. a very, way back then, it's probably, you know, approximately 15 years ago. And the focus was on doing things good for the environment. So I still remember I would went to Woodville with my family and my husband would be my cameraman because (laughs) we had to pre-record some sections in New Zealand and then that would be shown on the show and they would be asking you questions about it but also have a clip. So for example, things that I did was go to Woodville um, to stand in front of the Food Yokuhatsudenshaw, which in English is the wind wind generators. Mm. So near Wellington, there's a whole lot of wind mm. generators. Mm. So that was one thing that I did. Another thing that I did was go to my son's school and do a video clip of what they were doing to recycle batteries. And Quite the, advanced, right? It's very much what's topical now, exactly mm. what you exactly. said. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so it was super interesting. It was a lot of hard work, but it was really fascinating. And then because of the time difference with Japan, the actual live show would be at about 11 p.m. or 12 p.m. So it was quite exhausting just because of, you know, having the family and everything. But it was such a great, great opportunity. And then I got to meet other people because I was the New Zealand live reporter, but they also had live reporters from Norway and other countries and I just remember thinking how beautiful the people from Norway were because they didn't have any you know sun damage or anything so (laughs) yeah it was fascinating and then I was quite gushed because the show unfortunately got canned maybe back then it was actually too before its time I'm not sure but it was Mm. yeah a really great opportunity I loved it. Fantastic. So now, tell us what you're doing now, though. How do you help New Zealanders and Japanese people and what you do? Uh, so I'm a director at Baker Tully Stavis Rodway, Chartered Accountants in Auckland. I've actually been with the firm for about 27 years. And approximately 16 or 17 years ago, I went to our affiliated offices in Tokyo and did a secondment with Baker Tully Japan where I was doing internal audits back at the time when um, there was SOX audits, which was a result of the demise of Arthur Anderson and the Enron scandal. So I was doing SOX audit for US subsidiaries in Japan. And through that experience, I realized that my Japanese was actually good enough to do business and my combination of accounting and business experience with my Japanese was actually quite a powerful combination. And so after I completed my secondment, I came back to New Zealand and anything that could 
be done with Japanese, I was there. So I started meeting with a lot of lawyers, bankers, um, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, Japan, New Zealand Business Council. So I've got a real passion for Japan, as you lovely ladies do as well. And so I just immersed myself in Japanese business. And at the time, my husband, Kenji Azuma, who's Japanese, as we've said, said to me, you know, there's a Japanese phrase which is sit on a rock for three years. And it was quite true that for the first three years, you know, people sort of observed you. Um, there were, we got, you know, sub clients. And then amazingly, after that three years, things just started to snowball. So our client base grew. So fast forward to now, and there's myself, we have a team of six Japanese native speakers, as well as a lot of other non-Japanese speakers who support with all the technical side of things. Um, so our Auckland office, we have 140 people. And within that, I hear Team Japan. We branded ourselves as Team Japan about seven or eight years ago. Now you see a lot of people using the word team for their work members groups etc but we were you know again right in the forefront of doing that and when I was thinking of the name it was when New Zealand was in the America's Cup mm -hmm. and so I thought Team New Zealand, Team Japan because um, there's so many similarities being successful at both business and sport you know there's a lot of similarities so that was one meaning and the second meaning is team, together everyone achieves more. And the third meaning is, as you'll be aware with Japanese business, most things are done in groups as opposed to individuals. So for us, there's three really special meanings behind the name Team Japan. And so we've got, you know, a really great client base and that's made up of a lot of corporates, so listed and unlisted Japanese corporates, and also a number of high net worth individuals that have immigrated to New Zealand or have New Zealand PR. So very grateful to have wonderful clients, a wonderful team, and in 2020, we were also awarded the agency for JETRO, which is the Japan External Trade Organization. Chetro had offices in New Zealand since 1963, and then they decided to no longer send expats to New Zealand, but they wanted to retain a presence in New Zealand. They wanted to retain the Kamlan. So very proud that in our office reception area, we have the Jetro Kamlan nameplate. And so we do a lot of work with Jetro, and we report directly to Jetro in Sydney. So very much love what we do. It's a lot of hard work, but we are very grateful, as I say, for our clients, the Jetro, and mm. me personally for the amazing team members who have worked so hard to get where we are. Yeah, you've certainly built a really big team. I've just watched it grow over the years, adding another member and adding more services. So, I mean, listening as a a Jandal listener now, they'd think, oh, so you're doing accounts for people. But I imagine you're also doing, like, when they're doing their business plans, say, submitting them to the immigration service or when they're mapping out their five-year plans and things, you're helping them there. 
am I right there or is there something else that you're also doing? What about your services that you can offer? Yeah, so we offer um, a very broad range of services. We're a full range accounting firm and we do compliance tax, corporate finance, so M&A. So if clients are wanting to purchase businesses, um, we do the due diligence, etc. for that. Um, we can do valuations, audit. We've got a lot of international tax specialists as well. We also have HR services, so we assist with that. And we work in conjunction with lawyers for immigration purposes. Very broad range of services, which our clients like because we're kind of like a one-stop shop yeah. where yeah, we can help them with a range of things. Yeah, I mean, you can get them all started in connection with their law, legal team. Um, and then if something comes up, you know, they're, they're expanding and they need to purchase, you're helping them there. And I guess also diversifying if they want to get rid of businesses and, and um, pass them off. And also if something happens and they need to have an inquiry somewhere, you can help them with audits and things like that. Is there anything that's come up with your clients quite commonly between Japan, New Zealand, that they may be haven't understood so well that you've been able to help them with something that keeps coming up that perhaps people listening might find useful to know about so they can avoid that kind of pitfall or mistake or easy to fix thing that, that has come up in the past in it? I think one of the biggest things that I've learned um, dealing with Japanese clients in New Zealand is it's a phrase that I often say um, to both Kiwi clients doing business in Japan or Japanese companies who come into New Zealand, and it's Romani Reba, Romani Shitagai. So when and Rome do as the Romans do. So it's actually very important for Japanese companies when they come to New Zealand to understand that New Zealand is not Japan and vice versa. And so... Yes, it's important to keep your cultural identity and, you know, be true to yourself, but you need to realise that you are in a different country. Things are different, so it is embracing that. So I think that phrase, when a Roman do as the Romans do, is extremely important to understand. And if you have that mindset from when you start off doing business here, I think that's really important. I think it's also important when Kiwi companies go to do business in Japan, it's often said, you know, you should employ local Japanese people who understand the business aspect of things. And I think it's also, we've seen a lot of corporates be quite successful when they JV with Kiwi companies or, you know, so it's actually merging both of the countries and when you're working in that particular country, making sure that you're using native people from, say, New Zealand and vice versa, Japan, so that will lead to better results. Mm, I think um, one of the things when I was a lawyer in New Zealand is that when I'm working with Japanese, I didn't really understand why they thought in a certain way until I came to Japan and faced mm. the same issue. So I think that's part of it, isn't it? Understanding both and you really come and bring that because you have that understanding of both cultures really, really well. I guess... Aside from when in Rome, what else would you think would be one of the really important things to keep in mind when you're dealing with Japanese clients in New Zealand or, again, for New Zealanders coming into Japan? Is there anything else that you think would be really important to keep top of mind? 
you know, having a mutual respect, I think is really important. So understanding that there can be fundamental differences and always keeping that, you know, forefront of mind whilst getting to the end result. Is there anything you've observed that New Zealand does really, really well that Japan could kind of learn from and perhaps the other way around? Is there something that we do that's super, super great? Like, for example, your stories before about recycling batteries and wind um, power were ahead of its time, right? And now Japan's embracing those sorts of things for a number of years, right? But is there something like like that in an example about what we do that's really we could learn from each other? Any examples you might have? I think that Japanese, um, because of their cultural kensong or modesty, I feel that they are maybe not as good at marketing themselves as Kiwis are. So I think that's something. It's modesty is of course a virtue. But also in business, sometimes you've actually got to be out there to get your story across. So I do think, you know, Japan is, you know, such an amazing country, so many amazing products, et cetera, so many great businesses. But I feel that could be pushed a little bit further. I mean, take, for example, that Japan is the third largest economy in the world, but it's still, you know, a lot of people don't know so much about Japan. I think, you know, the former Prime Minister who unfortunately has passed away, Prime Minister Abe, I think he was, you know, like a world global leader who put Japan more on the global stage. But I think getting back to my point about the marketing side, I just feel that's something that um, Japan, because there's so many great things that they could perhaps be a little bit less reserved about. So that's what I think. And then from the New Zealand side, what we could learn from Japan, I think there's so many things that we could learn. I often say that, you know, Japanese business practice is what I think in many cases of best practice. You know, New Zealand has quite a laid back attitude. And I always say to Kiwis who are wanting to do business with Japan, the Kiwi laid back. Attitude doesn't cut it. So just the Japanese business practices of always being well prepared in Japan, arriving 10 minutes early is being on time as opposed to Kiwis, we tend to be, you know, running last minute. In Japan, if you promise to do something, if you say you're going to send an email by a certain day or do something that is without fail, fail will happen. I remember with one client, they said they would send something to me that day, 11.59 p.m., the email came in. And I know that when Japanese say something, it will happen, whereas um, in New Zealand, I know a lot of Japanese people, a lot of Kiwis as well, do get frustrated. For example, tradesmen, they say they'll come on a certain day, they don't actually come. You know, that sort of thing wouldn't happen in Japan. So there's so many wonderful business practices in Japan that do happen that I think are exemplary and that New Zealand could learn a lot from that. Definitely. I am a recipient of the <laughs> this service and amazingness that goes on in Japan. So I definitely agree with that. What's some of the things that surprised you about doing business between Japan and New Zealand? 
Yeah, so I guess going back to the days when I was teaching English in Nagolka, because I used to teach a variety of students from housewives to um, businessmen to high school students. And, you know, I would choose my topics of the week. And what I did find way back then was when we were discussing a topic, just how unified Japanese people were in their response. Whereas I think Kiwis have a lot more diversity in their way of thinking, you know, whereas I did notice that, and that's probably, you know, um, a result of the Japanese education system or the fact that a lot of Japanese are quite similar in what they will think. So that stood out to me um, as a very young person um, back then. That's a good point, isn't it? I wonder if that's why these days people do this, you know, nemawashi to go to different people before a meeting, perhaps, and yeah. find out mm. individually what their idea is, because everyone has a different idea separately, yeah. perhaps, but all together in the group, it's hard to say something different sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess that that whole nemawashi, the fact that because I let a lot of fellow directors work with us on our Japanese clients and most people, and it's probably a well-known fact, is the length of time that it does take for things to happen. And that's, as you say, the Neymawashi getting, um, you know, buy-in from all sides to come across the unified thing. And also the fact that Japanese are very risk-averse, generally speaking. So they will look at things from various different angles before they make a decision. Yeah. So... Tell us a little bit more about the JNZBC that you mentioned earlier. We know that you're very much an active member, vice chair of the New Zealand side of the Japan New Zealand Business Council. We've had quite a few members on the show so far. Oh, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. What some of the benefits of being a member and, and what do you think is really great about JNZBC? I think Jane's NBC is wonderful. It has a very long history. Um, it's steeped in tradition, which is, you know, an important fact when you're dealing with Japanese. And our chair, current chair, Ian Kennedy, he's the former ambassador to Japan, so highly passionate about Japan. And as we know with Japanese, the networks, the relationships are incredibly important. So... I think one of the key benefits of being a member of the JNZBC is the ability to have access to people like Ian Kennedy, the chair, or other members so that you can learn from their really deep experiences of how to be successful, how to do business in Japan. And JNZBC have an annual conference every second year in New Zealand and the other year in Japan. So that's a wonderful opportunity to meet people, learn more about Japan. And then we also have probably about once every two or three months a meeting with a speaker. So it's the whole networking, the ability to be able to be introduced to some people if needed. And, you know, that goes a very long way in Japan as opposed to you know, you cold calling someone, if you can get an introduction from a member of JNZBC or 
through the appropriate routes, then that is going to be a lot more beneficial for your business. So, yeah, huge um, supporter of Jane's ABC, Baker Tilly Staples Workway. We are also a gold partner. So, we do a lot of pro bono work for them and just incredible organization to be a part of. If anyone was thinking of doing um, business with Japan, that would be, you know, the first place that I think they should look at. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And it's not a huge hurdle to join either. Uh, we recently joined Jane's ZB, JNZBC officially. So that's very exciting. Right. Yeah. And um, loads of amazing people and organizations are involved in this. And it's really a great place to find others who are as interested in Japan as you maybe or your businesses. Yeah. That's true. And, you know, from the Japan side, there's a lot of, you know, very prestigious companies yes. and highly respected um, people who are members. Yes, amazing companies from the Japan side are also part of the JNZBC. Welcome back, Catherine. You okay? <laughs> <laughs> I will say every time there's an earthquake in Japan, it throws you off Zoom. And oh, have, wow. Like, there was a little one yesterday afternoon, and I thought, I bet my Zoom's going to go wobbly on Monday morning, and there we go. So uh, my theory is proven. I know you've been talking about JNZBC, and I remember knowing about JNZBC so many years ago, um, but always thought it was too far ahead of me as a measly little lawyer working in New Zealand that I could ever be a member of it. But um, Jane and I have joined recently to the JNZBC. So I would say to other Kiwis out there and Japanese, never give up. Always think you can focus on, you know, what's ahead and join the JNZBC because it's certainly worth the investment. And I hope that's what you were talking about. <laughs> No, but you've made a good point there, Catherine, because we actually discussed this, didn't we, that you didn't think you could join. No, that's right. Right? And that now you right. remember, right? And you didn't think that you were big enough or important enough or whatever or whatever, all of these sort of limiting thoughts that you'd had, which aren't actually true, yeah? No, that's right. And I think you just get involved with all of these things between Japan and New Zealand. Nothing's going to happen if you don't get involved. And you build up your you know, portfolio of what you've done, your experience, your career, as you go, then you find the right timing to join these, right? But I did see them from afar, I think, wow, they're big people who are doing huge things and I'm just tiny. Uh, but I think that I'm still pretty tiny. <laughs> but as a, you know, as a team, um, joining is going to be really fruitful, I think. And did you also speak about the conference coming up in Christchurch? Not yet, but that is oh. a good segue into the conference that's coming up in Christchurch. And, and then we know you're taking a leading role there this year. Yes, Ian has asked me to be MC, which I have agreed to do. So that's very exciting. So it should be a great conference around about the 20th of November um, in Christchurch. And, you know, there's always just such great presentations on various different businesses, new types of businesses that are emerging, and plus, obviously, the evening event to be able to network, meet new people. Um, so very excited about that. And I will also just add, um, in terms of the membership fees for JNZBC, our membership fees are based on the size of companies. So the membership fees, it's not a huge, huge amount. You know, it goes up according to the size of employees, but 
you know, it's quite an affordable um, entry into James FDC. We thought so too. And we're looking yeah. forward to seeing you in action when we're there. And we loved seeing one of our Jandals guests, Mike Harris, is in your agenda there talking about tourism or adventure tourism. Uh, mm -hmm. We think that's a really great approach for just, just changing around the agenda a little bit this year to bring in some of these interesting voices. And Mike is a super great entertainer. And I think he'll be a very mm -hmm. good speaker for you. So well done in choosing him. I'm excited to hear him speak and Leishan in person. Well, we usually ask everybody who comes on Jandals in Japan podcast, Annette, their one gem, their one nugget from your own experience that you think would be really, really good for budding exporters from New Zealand to Japan or business owners uh, to be careful about. You've told us you're the win in Rome. You've told us to be respectful. Is there something that just rises up is the most important thing that you would think uh, for being a successful gender in Japan? I really think meeting face-to-face -face is incredibly important. And I know that we've been through our COVID years and that now, you know, it is possible to do things like this, Zoom, etc. But I think for business relationships or other relationships for that fact, actually the meeting in person um, is so important. And when I was married, which is 30 years ago, and we had a wedding in New Zealand, then we had a reception in Japan, and it really stuck in my mind the importance of meeting in person because the day after our wedding, wedding reception, which was held in Osaka, well, sorry, about a week or two weeks after that, my mother-in-law and father-in-law made a specific trip all the way from Kyushu to Osaka to personally thank Kenji's uncle and aunt who had acted kind of like MC at the wedding. It was a long trip, five or six hours by bullet train, to go to personally thank them. And they were laden with gifts. So they had mm. Wagyu, the Japanese beef, they had beer, they had other gifts. And I thought, this is so different to New Zealand because if my uncle had been MC at a, at a wedding, we would have maybe called and said, oh, thanks, or next time we <laughs> yeah. happen to see him say, oh, you know, thank Buy you. A beer. Buy him a beer. That's but, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this was, I think it really shows, and the fact that that is even within a family situation, mm, yeah. how they took, you know, a five or six hour trip a lot of gifts to personally thank face-to-face -face is so important. And that is in um, a family relationship. Also with business, I still think it is incredibly important to meet face-to-face. -face. Yeah, really mm. good tips. Absolutely. And uh, moving on then, I think, you know, you're involved in lots of different activities between New Zealand and Japan. I think it's actually a key for success as well, right? That keeping up the connections. And um, as well as being on the Jane ZBC, you're in Global Woman, you're in Drive Electric, you're also a representative, an industry representative for Auckland University of Technology International Languages Department. Is there any of that that you'd like to speak to us about that's perhaps also enriching your interactions and knowledge and uh, expertise with Japan and New Zealand? Well, 
Yes, well, there's quite a few things um, that I do do, maybe quickly speaking on, you know, drive electric, which is to accelerate the uptake of electric vehicles in New Zealand. The founder is Japanese, um, and I think it shows that Japan is often at the forefront of doing these types of things. Um, There's a lot of interaction with, you know, various entities from around the world, but that's very exciting to be part of Drive Electric. I think Global Women is also very important, and it's actually really interesting to see in Japan what is happening. I think by 2030, 30% of executives in Japan are to be females. So I guess in terms of myself, my biggest thing is my Japanese business including James EBC. And then what I'm also really passionate about is about women in business and just it's been great to see so much positive change over the last 10 years, particularly over the last five years. I think those barriers are actually starting to come down. And as a female in business, woman in business who is so interested in Japan, it's actually great seeing what is happening in Japan, because as we know, there's um, a long way to go. But really exciting to see uh, the changes that are now starting to, you know, reasonably rapidly happen in Japan to meet those targets. Exactly. And I heard the statistic the other day is that to get to 30%, that's actually an additional 8,000 women are required to get a board position. So another Mm -hmm. 8,000 have to be put in place right between here and 3030 2030 so that actually just opens up so many opportunities and that can also be new zealanders new zealand women in new zealand who could be on a japanese board right so let's plant Mm -hmm. that seed there i think there's real potential for more collaboration from amazing new zealand women in business who could come and actually help and energize and support japanese boards yeah, exactly. And I'm just being an accountant looking at those numbers. Um, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's like another 8,007 years that works out to be about every week 22 new appointments wow. on boards. Right. Wow. And perhaps all in one go when it becomes that kind of June shareholders season when people are put onto the board nominated. Wow. Thank Gosh. you for the calculations. Yeah, there. that's that's yeah. mind blowing, isn't it? Is there something you wanted to ask us today, Annette? A burning question you have for Jandals in Japan. What do you find the most enjoyable part of doing your Jandals in Japan? Oh, there's so many things. I love just look at us on screen here, the three of us speaking mm. together, which probably we could not have done years ago. We also love just being able to draw out the stories and the experiences from somebody such as you who's got such a depth. Uh, to give your insights and experience to others. And we just find the feedback is amazing that people heard the one comment that sort of changed their direction to be able to contact someone to do the next step that they were perhaps tied up on. So there's a lot of that happens. So that's really joyful is that we are Mm. actually giving information that is very useful to help other people. And that's coming from you as our guest. So we really appreciate that. For you, Jane, what do you think? Yeah, it's this Kenson thing again. Like New Zealand also has this Kenson thing where we don't talk about what we're doing, what's possible for New Zealanders uh, in connection with Japan. 
And uncovering those stories is so much fun and fantastic to create this network as we we do it, our own little Jandals network, which yeah, many uh, people you know are a part of and it as well as yourself. So thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you so much and kudos to you ladies um, for you know having this podcast to educate and inspire people to do more business with Japan. I think it's really great what you're doing. Thanks so much, Annette. We really congratulate you on being a very long-term connector between New Zealand and Japan in all ways, in your personal life and your business life and what you're doing is, is super amazing. And we're always very much in admiration of you. So thank you so much for telling us your wonderful insights and stories today and for being a very successful Jandal in Japan. Thank you very much. How amazing is Annette? We are so lucky to have her as a Jandal and doing amazing work between New Zealand and Japan. Totally so devoted, you know, from those first days, exchange student and all of that. It comes back every time, doesn't it? Once you've got it in your DNA, Mm. Japan, you can hardly ever get it out of it, right? Your language and culture and getting more engrossed into the culture, business, everything. And it all Mm. just blooms. And to look what she's done, she's made a a massive career out of it and and built on her accounting and Japanese combination, which I thought Mm. was a really great point. As someone who kind of lives between the two countries, I always think, where can I find these professionals who can help me with, you know, two countries? Well, there are. We just heard from Annette and her team, Team Japan at uh, Baker Tilly. So there you go. Exactly. And I think it's really key combining those two skills, right? So she must be able to sit down with Japanese clients and explain the concepts, the compliance concepts, the tax, the corporate finance in Japanese or obviously her team can Mm. but knowing that New Zealand information and explaining it in the local language as in local for the client Japanese is a real skill and something very very special that other accountants wouldn't be able to offer I think Mm. yeah that's a great resource for for people and getting the you know the badge of approval from Jetro yeah I didn't know that that was really fantastic Mm. really fantastic so, you know, those things, you work hard for those and then they mm. the joyous, you know, privileges come with them. Mm. Yeah, that three years on a rock keeps coming three. up, doesn't it? People keep saying, what is it? Ishino ni sannen. Yeah, that's mm. how long it takes. Yeah, or more. Um, yeah, and then there's quite a few little kotowazas uh, expressions there and that when in Rome, do, do as the Romans do. And mm. I think she really nailed that one. Yeah. Right. We can and using not using our little Kiwi laid backness too much. And I think David Downs talked about that too, not being too Kiwi-ish, right? In yeah. our approach. Yeah. Not using mm. it to a certain level, but not too much. And a couple mm. of others have brought that out as well. It's important to be genuine to your culture, but at the same time not overly being Kiwi laid back and certainly not wearing jandals. We know that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the co- like the combination of maintaining our friendliness, but being onto it. Yeah. Yeah, the, those two yeah. together. Friendly, but onto it. <laughs> Friendly, but onto it. Okay. So and you're I, on time, everything, yeah. you know, you what you do, you say you do, yeah. you do, and yeah. all of that. But we maintain that sort of Kiwi friendliness, which is perhaps sort of the, you know, less talking down to people or, you know, not sort mm. of seeing the hierarchy so much, but fulfilling on all of the things that you're expected to do. Yeah, and I thought also it was interesting how Annette, 
pulled out marketing as being a little bit perhaps hmm. Japanese are not so good at no not 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 inclined to or yeah, they don't a think more reserved well I think yeah. It would. But, mm. yeah they're more reserved and probably should be a little bit less reserved so maybe that's a great place where Kiwis can use their ability if they're marketing in that marketing field or you know influences of some way to be able to help Japanese say mm. their story in a a bigger, slightly bigger, slightly more positive way, perhaps there's an, uh, a way there for us to be collaborating to mm. help Japanese tell yes, their story. Definitely. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's good. She pulled that one out. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty. And so, yes, the JNZBC conference is happening in November. So it would be great to see lots of Jandals listeners there. If you see us there, come and say hi. Come and say hi. Alrighty, so lots more jandals coming up soon. Stay tuned. See you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!